These words spake Jesus, and lifted up his eyes to heaven, and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee, as thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which you gave me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Welcome to the Unchanging Word Bible Study. Our teacher is Dr. John G. Mitchell. I'm after your hearts, not your heads, is a refrain often heard by college students in Dr. Mitchell's Bible classes. In his own words, his goal was to help you fall in love with the Savior, and his teachings always tended to fill your mind with the Lord Jesus Christ. In his day, there were no tape recorders, so he and his organist had to be at the station five evenings a week. He was heard live every weekday on radio stations in the Northwest. The name of our study, The Unchanging Word, highlights the fact that God's Word has not changed. What God reveals in His written Word was true in the past, is still true today, and will be true tomorrow. The truth in God's Word was, is, and always will be true. God never changes. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Life begins at Calvary, there my Savior died. He took my place and by His grace came with me to abide. All I need for living is mine by just believing. Life begins at Calvary, life that never On the Unchanging Word Bible Study with Dr. John G. Mitchell, we begin anew in John chapter 17. And in this chapter, we hear the prayer of our Lord Jesus to His Father with His disciples in attendance. And this is a most holy time as He's praying and communing with His Father. Dr. Mitchell gives us an overview of the entire chapter. And in this overview, he makes several observations of note. He notes the three times Jesus prayed. Also, he states the three themes of this chapter. And Dr. Mitchell also notes four great doctrines, four great requests, and three special glories. And as we begin this study in John 17, listening to the Lord and his prayer to his Father for us, his disciples, his believers, we can be assured that the Lord Jesus is still now in heaven praying and interceding for each of us. Well, turn with us here at the Unchanging Word in your Bible to John chapter 17 with Dr. Mitchell. Good day, friends. We come to you again, and we start today one of the most amazing chapters in the whole Bible, the 17th chapter of the Gospel through John. I say this because there is given to us in this passage some of the most wonderful truth that ever has been revealed to the human heart. You remember all through the life of our Savior, our, as he walked among men, we remember that he went into the mountain to pray. He went into the wilderness to pray. And he was all eyes alone praying with his Father, talking with his Father, communing with his Father. Then he'd come back to the disciples and so on. But now we are allowed to come within the veil in the holiest of all. 
and we hear the Lord Jesus Christ talking to his Father, what will he say? How does he say it? For whom does he pray? And here we come to this tremendous, tremendous passage, the 17th chapter of John. It's our Lord's high priestly prayer for his own people, not only for the, 12, for the 11 disciples, but for all his people. Remember that. In Matthew chapter 23, his last words to Israel were, you'll not see me again until you shall say, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. But now we come to the prayer, not for Israel, but for those who put their trust in him, to his disciples and to the church of Christ. You remember these, these chapters, 13 to 16, he's been teaching his disciples. And now he closes the whole evening with his prayer for them to his father. You remember the passage in chapter 13, 1 starts with his love. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. When we come to the end of the 17th chapter, verse 26, we read that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them and I in them. It is a chapter revealing the wonderful, wonderful relationship and communion between the Father and the Son. And we find the Lord Jesus opening up his heart to his Father concerning these men who have been with him. As I said a while ago, we come within the holiest of all. We're walking on holy ground. And we hear the conversation between the Father and the Son. And you'll notice as you read it, three times the Lord Jesus said, I pray. In verse 9, I pray for them. I pray not for the world. In verse 15, I pray not that thou shouldst take them out of the world. They don't belong to the world. And in verse 20, neither pray I for these alone, but for all them also which shall believe on me through their word. You see, he's not really making a request so much as he is speaking as one on equality with God. And in the chapter we see three tremendous themes. For example, in the first five verses we have Christ and his Father. And the great word that stands out is glory. The great theme is the glory of God. And then you have Christ and his disciples from verses 6 to 19. And the great word there is kept, K-E-P-T, that they may be kept. And then from verses 20 to 26, you have Christ and the church. And the great word there is that they might be one. Allow me to repeat it. In the first, three, first five verses, Christ and his Father, and the great word there is glory. Then from verses 6 to 19, you have Christ and his disciples. And there the great theme is that they might be kept. Preservation, if you want to use the word. And then from verses 20 to 26, we have Christ and his church. And the great thought there is that they might be one. Even as the Father and the Son are one, even so should the believers be one in Christ. Then also you will notice as you go into the chapter that there are four great doctrines presented before us. 
There is the doctrine of salvation. What is eternal life? That they might know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Then there's the great doctrine of preservation. Father, you keep them. They don't belong to the world. They're in the world. They're not of the world. Holy Father, you keep them. Preservation. The third great doctrine is sanctification. What he says, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so send I them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they might be sanctified through the truth. And the fourth great doctrine is glorification. Glorification. The glory which you've given me, I've given them. Father, glorify thou me with the glory I had with thee before the world was. You go on. Glorification. Then as you read the chapter, you will notice there are four great requests in the passage. Four great requests. First of all, they request that, and I, I would like to change the word request, uh, but I'm going to leave it right there, that he should be glorified in verse 5. And then he prayed that the disciples might be kept, verse 11. He prayed they might be sanctified in verse 17. And he prayed they might behold his glory in verse 24. Which leads me to say there are three special glories in the chapter. Three special glories in the chapter. You have his eternal glory. Father, glorify thou me with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. That's verse 5, his eternal glory. In verse 22, Jesus said, Father, the glory which thou hast given me, I have given them. This is his, shall I use the word, acquired glory. This is what he received because he completed the work of redemption for man. It's this glory which we share. A Paul could say in Romans 8, 18, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. That's his acquired glory, which we share. The third one is his moral glory in verse 24, where Jesus said, Father, I will that all those whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory. We do not share in this glory. We gaze upon his moral glory. Here is our Lord Jesus Christ, having completed the work of his Father, having been absolutely obedient to his will and submissive to his will, uh, obedient to his word and submissive to his will. Now he is glorified with the glory of the omnipotent God. I tell you, it's an amazing thing. Like you have it in Philippians chapter 2, God has given him a name that's above every name. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven, on earth, in hell. Every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So you have all these things. I've just been kind of running through the chapter to whet your appetite to read it. Now, I would like to take the time, and I'm not going to do it, but I would like to take the time to read at least the first five verses. I would suggest you sit down and read all 26 verses over half a dozen times. Read it through slowly. Read it audibly. And in some way, may the Spirit of God 
take this amazing chapter and make it unusually precious to your heart. Now, we're going to spend some time on this chapter. That's why I want you to read it and reread it and reread it. I want your capacity for truth to be increased. I want your vision of Christ to be enlarged. I want you to fall in love with him. You see, he fell in love with you and died for you. It was manifested by sacrifice. I'm sure he wants you and me to fall in love with him. So many, oh, so many of God's people, we've lost our first love for Christ, that fervency, that freshness of love for the Savior. I pray, God, that the Lord will make it so precious to you in this chapter that you'll fall afresh in love with the Savior. You see, he has you on his heart. All through the passage, he has you on his heart. He doesn't ask anything for himself until you come to the end of the chapter, verse 24, when he asks, even there in his own personal request, it's concerning you that you might behold him in his glory, his moral glory. So I just plead with your heart to read it and reread it and reread it. And never mind about memorizing it. Just read it. And as you read it, remember, look for him. In some way, may the Spirit of God make it real to you and to me as we read it over and over and over again to see the wonderful union between the Savior and his Father, to see the wonderful union between the, the Son and the believer, and our union with the Father and with the Son, that the world may know, that the world may believe. Now, let me read the first five verses. These words spake Jesus, and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee, as thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which you gave me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Here you have the Lord Jesus Christ and his Father. And the great theme here is glory. Now let me just take this, these first few words. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Now he's just, he has just spoken from chapter 13 through 16. He's been talking to his disciples. This is what he's been saying to them. He's manifested himself, as I say, concerning the advocate. He's going to return to them. He's going to indwell them by his Holy Spirit. He's given them the wonderful privilege of coming in the presence of God and making their requests. Their requests will be answered because the Father loves them. And now having said these things, he lifted up his eyes and said, Father, the hour is come. You see, as you read the passage through, he opens, he's already opened up his heart to them. Now he's going to open up his heart to his Father. And the great, the great thing, their union with himself. 
As I said a while ago, and I'll repeat it, here is his prayer for his own. If ever the Lord prayed for his disciples, it's here. If he ever prayed for you, here it is. This indeed is the Lord's prayer for his own people. Read it, meditate upon it. It's vital to every one of us. Notice now, the hour is come. Glorify your son, that your son may also glorify you. The hour is come. Do you remember in chapter 2 when his mother said, Son, they have no wine. Jesus said, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. In chapter 7, when his brethren said to him, if you, if you are what you claim to be, why don't you go up to Jerusalem to the feast? For his brethren did not believe on him. And Jesus said, your time is already here. It's always here. My time, mine hour, is not yet come. Over and over again in that chapter, my hour is not yet come. In chapter 12, when certain Greeks desired to see Jesus, he said, now is mine hour come that the Father be glorified in the Son. This is the central hour of all time. This is the hour spoken of by the prophets. You take Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 50, I gave my back to the smiters, I gave my cheeks to those who plucked off the hair, I hid not my face from shame or spitting, yet he that standeth by me will justify me. Chapter 52, his face was marred more than any man's. 53rd of Isaiah, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. 22nd Psalm, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? 69th Psalm, I looked for an eye to pity and found none. They gambled over his garments. They said in Psalm 22, he trusted God. Let us see if God will deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. One can multiply the prophecies. The hour is come for the fulfilling of the great prophecies concerning our Savior and his death. The hour has come, the central hour of all time. You remember on the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew chapter 17 and in Luke's Gospel chapter 9, especially in Luke where you read, that Moses and Elias were with the Savior on the mount, and they spake concerning his decease, his departure, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. Moses didn't speak of their deliverance out of Egypt. Elijah didn't speak of him closing the heavens. They spake concerning our Savior and his death for lost men and women. The hour is come. I say it's a central hour of all time. Do you remember in Luke 22, he could say to the Jews of his day, this is your hour and the power of darkness. This hour which was set apart away back in eternity, the hour for the glorification of the Father and of the Son. His whole life on earth was lived for the glory of his Father. His great passion was the glorification of his Father. That's why even at the cross, and even our salvation from sin was for the glory of his Father. All his words, all his works was for the glorification of his Father. A 
And down through the hours, down through the months, and the years of his ministry, he had one great, great object, to fulfill an object, which was obedience to his Father's will, which meant a cross. In the 40th Psalm, sacrificing an offering thou wouldst not, but a body hast thou prepared me, mine ear hast thou digged. The Lord didn't, didn't, wasn't satisfied with the sacrifices offered by men. Then said I, in the volume of the book it is written of me, I delight to do thy will, O my God, for thy word is in my heart. The hour is come. I tell you, friend, all that he ever did, all that he ever said, was for the glory of his Father, and now the hour is come. Notice what he says. The hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. Do you mind if I go back a little wee bit in chapter 12? The hour is come. Verse 23, the hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. In verse 27, now is my soul troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. For this cause came I unto this hour. Father, glorify thy name. There came a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. He's talking about the cross. In chapter 13, after Judas had gone out, verse 31, Therefore, when Judas was gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God be glorified in him, God shall also glorify him in himself, and shall straightway glorify him. Chapter 17, verse 1. These words speak Jesus. Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. What I'm trying to get to your heart, the most central hour of all time, of all eternity, has come. The time when the Father will be vindicated, his very righteous character vindicated, the hour when Jesus Christ would bear away your sin and my sin. The hour has come when the Father will be glorified in the Son, and the Son will be glorified in the Father. I tell you again, my friend, the great purpose of God in creating a world, in the formation of a human race, even in permitting it to go into sin, and coming under the bondage of death and judgment and wrath of God, that sinners might be saved as for the glory of God. You say, well, praise the Lord, Mr. Mitchell, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven. That's a mere item. The important thing is not you getting to heaven. The important thing is not you being saved. The important thing is God being glorified through your salvation. Oh, that we Christians might live for the glory of God. I repeat it, oh, that we Christians might live for the glory of God. Are you doing that? You come to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 5 through 15. You have the will of the Father, which was what? The provision of salvation through his Son. Hence, then you have the work of the Son, this man by one sacrifice for sins forever. 
Then you have the witness of the Spirit, the Spirit of God witnessing to the completion of Christ's work and witnessing to the fact that every believer, everyone who puts their trust in the Savior, will stand in the presence of God glorified together with their Savior. For the glory which you've given me, I have given them. Read the passage through, will you please? Over and over again, I want you to know this wonderful Savior who loves you with an everlasting love. May the Lord make it precious indeed to your heart for his holy name's sake. In my darkness, Jesus found me, touched my eyes and made me see, broke sin's chains that long had bound me, brought me life and liberty. Love of Christ, my Lord divine, that made him stoop to save a soul like mine. Through all my days and then in heaven above, my song will silence never. I'll worship him forever and praise him for his glory. Thank you for listening to the Unchanging Word Bible Study today. And so until next time, this is the Unchanging Word Bible Broadcast. Life begins at Calvary.